Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And it is time for another edition of Smindy Fiction. And as is perfect for the holidays, this one comes with a trigger warning. <laughs> so, um, Merry Christmas. Happy yes, holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Here's a dark uh, fiction for you. It's hard to describe, but it does it does include uh, sexual assault and violence mentioned. It doesn't really go into it, but it also deals with the trauma of those things and how that can just ripple out and impact all of your life. So this was something I wrote in high school, and we'll discuss some of the reasoning behind it after we do the reading. As always, this is something we're trying. It's new. Uh, but don't worry, like our regular content isn't going to change. I feel like I'm holding your hand on this journey. Like it's mm-hmm. it's all right. Um, <laughs> we're doing like Sex in the City, Watch the. We're doing a bunch of new things, Samantha. I feel like we have to, you know, just let the yeah. audience know. 2021 has been weird. I feel like we <laughs> need to end it with a bang and then kind of go ahead and preface, by the way, changes are coming. Not huge changes, just a few new things because we're about to lose our minds. <laughs> so we're bringing you a Sex in the City watch through and some fiction. <laughs> but it's not, nothing else is changing. We're just trying some new things and we hope that you enjoy it. And as always, if you have any suggestions for new segments you should try, we would love to hear about it. We are, we're interested in trying new things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and thanks as always to Christina for her amazing work on this one. These fiction ones are a bit of a heavier push for her. So thank Christina, everyone. Genius. The goat. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then I feel like I have to put this disclaimer in here. I did write this in high school. I slightly edited it for, uh, I submitted it for 13 Days of Halloween two years ago. I, I was like, it's really dark. And they were like, dark is good. And then they were like, it's too dark. I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what'd you think? <laughs> With my sweet disposition. They're like, no, Andy, no. Yes. They know you love horror, right? Like, and you love like all the darkness. I do. I think they were just surprised because I think they were, I guess when you say dark, that can mean a lot of different things. And they weren't anticipating kind of a real world uh, tragedy <laughs> take on dark. I'm building it up into way more than it actually is, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was part of a larger story that I did write. And I, I'm really eager to talk about it because I think it's really interesting. But before we do that, we don't want to spoil it. So let's get into the fiction reading of Deep Dream. You already know how this story ends. There was always only one outcome. I wish it were different, but wishing does not make it so. My name is Tara Martkin. I'm 22 years old. I've lived an incredibly sheltered life. I've never had sex. I've never broken a bone. Never experienced trauma of any kind. I have also been beaten. I have also broken numerous bones. 
I've also been sexually assaulted. Every time I attempt to count the number of traumatic instances in my life, I decided it's not worth knowing. There is no cognitive dissonance here, no euphemistic language, no mental gymnastics, no selective memory. Both are true at once. You doubt the veracity of this. I did too. When I would remember the violence and faded yet selectively vivid detail, I would tell myself I was remembering a dream, a brutal dream lodged in my brain like a splinter, unsettling, disturbing, but false. An explosion of anxious nerves and an unsettled mind. For a time, I could ignore these dreams that felt more like memories, but they bled into my life. When I slept in the room, she, I had been attacked and it took my breath away. As though she, I was right there. When I ignored the knocking she had answered that resulted in years of violence for her, I could see it, the path not traveled. Anxiety, depression, that's what I thought. That's what everyone thought. But these memories, visions, became harder and harder to ignore. I had all the symptoms of someone who had undergone a trauma without ever having endured one. I felt like a fake, but the trauma was real all the same. I avoided people. I avoided my reflection. I avoided everything. I slept all the time. When I wasn't sleeping, I was crying. Tears that had no end. Then came a new theory. Repressed memories fighting to the surface. The idea made my skin crawl. It made me doubt my memories and question my reality. I remembered not being attacked and I remembered being attacked. I remembered the dates that happened to one version of me and didn't to the other. To me, I remembered the knocking on the door and not answering it, falling back into an uneasy sleep. And I remembered the knocking on the door, answering it, and the attack that followed. Both existed in my brain. Neither was repressed. Otherwise, our lives were the same. It was only in these key, traumatic moments we diverged. She was me. I was her. I went to therapy. It was difficult to explain, even to myself. Some days I was sure memories of this other me were dreams or or repressed memories. Some days I just thought I'd lost my mind. Others I thought there was another me existing alongside me in an alternate timeline and I was catching glimpses into her life. I wondered if she was catching glimpses into mine. If she was angry to have suffered where I did not. If she was aware of me at all. Sometimes I blamed her. 
I wasn't foolish enough to answer the knocking at the door. I shouldn't have to suffer the consequences for a decision I did not make. But I dismissed these thoughts, ashamed to have thought them in the first place. As unhinged as this might sound to you, in a weird way, it soon became the explanation that most accurately described my experience. I'm a logical person. I did not arrive at this conclusion easily. Process of elimination, years of it. I had no precedent to believe it and very little desire to. As time passed, as the memories pounded more loudly and incessantly for entry into my brain, I had no choice but to believe it. Not that I would tell anyone. I would barely admit it to myself. <sighs> do you know what trauma does to the brain? I do. There's a ringing in your ears, a blurring of colors. Something stick out, bright stripes on the clothes you're wearing. How poorly those clothes fit, while others blur, the edges soft, the memory both overly clear and utterly glossed over a consuming mess of colors and sensations and feelings that don't feel like they're yours. Time becomes meaningless and also everything, because after a traumatic event, everything will be defined as before and after. These sound like contradictions because they are, but that doesn't change the truth of them. How would I know this, know it in my bones, in my soul, if these traumatic events never happened to me? There was no reason for me to. Perhaps a remnant of my alternate, someone I began to resent more and more. How was this my responsibility? In quiet moments, when sleep eluded me, questions would arise. How had this happened? Was the other me all right? Did she exist in a parallel universe, or was she here? Had there been some mistake? A split in time? Had she died a ghost in my life? Had I been cursed to bear witness to her pain, some ability that opened a window into her world and let me observe it? Could I help her? Because she needed help. I began to suspect she was reaching out to me. It started small at first, aborted internet searches about alternate realities, embarrassment and curiosity warring inside me. These memories too took on fuzzy edges as though they aren't mine. But they were, right? Things I knew started feeling faint as though I was reciting facts from someone else's memories and not my own. I started to feel immaterial, a spectator in my own life. Some days I was certain, so certain, I could see something else someone else that my life was fabricated. Whispers of promises of revelation haunted my waking hours. Every now and then, my reflection in the mirror moved just slightly off. Scars started appearing on my body. I scratched at them. I hid them. I was desperate for them not to exist. They weren't mine, I told myself. And yet, any embarrassment around internet searches on alternate realities paled in the face of my growing terror. Any empathy I had for the alternate me faded, lost in resentful anger. 
I was convinced she was trying to take over my life. She had discovered the secret to alternate realities and was coming to race me and take my place. She's the one that answered that damn door. She's the one that let evil into her life. She should suffer for it, not me. I was going to slam the door to my reality in her face. I found a ritual. It called for a set of stairs, a candle, and sacred offerings for each step and the blood of something new. For it to work, I had to ascend the stairs backwards and above all else, not look back. Doing so not only would cause the ritual to fail, but would leave me unsure if I was in the correct reality. This did not terrify me as much as it should have. It very nearly described how I already felt. I was fortunate. There was a set of stairs in my small apartment, a winding set of four. I killed a rat for the blood. Clumsily, messily, unbearably, terrifyingly numb, though tears streamed down my face. At one time, I would not have believed myself capable of this. There wasn't much blood. I hoped it was enough. I waited till midnight to start. My hands shook as I lit the first candle. I refuse you. I slammed the door shut and lock it. I whispered into the flickering dark. I set down my first offering, a family picture from my ninth birthday party, worn at the edges. I used it as a bookmark and was almost never without it. I poured a few drops of blood on the image. Very careful not to look over my shoulder, I took a step back onto the second stair. I placed the second candle down and lit it, the hiss of the match loud in the dark. I refuse you. I slammed the door and locked it. Here, I placed a small stuffed bee my father had given to me, the words, someone loves you, stitched along it. Blood dripped on the fabric, staining it crimson. The candles flickered. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. Tara. I jumped violently at the whispering in my ear, almost dropping the items in my arm, almost turning around, terrified I'd see my doppelganger staring at me with her cold, devouring eyes, so full of pain she'd do anything not to feel it, including killing me and taking my place. But I didn't turn. Unbearably tense, I breathed heavily into the silence, waiting for a hand to fall on my shoulder to be shoved down the stairs. Moments passed and nothing happened. My body trembled as I fumbled with the next step behind me, almost tottering over. It took several tries for me to light the candle, fingers shaking wildly. Once lit, I gulped out. I refuse you. I slammed the door and lock it. Here, I placed a necklace my friend had made for me, goofy and ugly, but precious to me. Blood splashed all over it, and I jerked back, afraid of using it all before the ritual was finished. I hesitated, listening, before stepping back onto the final stair, the air heavy around me. Carefully, I placed the last candle, lit it, stared into the flame. I refuse you. I slam the door and lock it.
With trembling hands, I set down my last offering, a paper rose my mom had given me, white and pink tissue paper. She surprised me with it. She'd sat down and made it for me and surprised me with it. A tear dripped onto the paper alongside the blood. I was crying. I straightened my body painfully tense. Undeserving Tara, I heard in the dark. We're gonna tear you apart. You already did, I thought, and then wasn't sure why I thought it. Now I had to wait. Stand still, not look back and wait until the candles went out. Whispers slithered in my ear, warm breath against my neck and my name over and over. Tara, 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 Tara. I stood vigil. I prayed. I didn't believe in God, any God, but I prayed. Please, please, please. Sometimes I whispered it aloud in the invocation. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't deserve to be her. I don't deserve to live in her world. I was never her. As the night went on, I started swaying on my feet. But I stood, determined to reclaim my reality, even as the whispers assailed me, curled around me, demanding and unrelenting, pleading, pleading with me to let her in. Pleading with me to let her in. I refused. The first candle went out. The second. The third. And just as exhaustion almost had me collapsing or turning around, ruining the ritual, the fourth candle flickered out, leaving me in darkness. I waited waiting to feel an easing in my soul that I so desperately longed for. To feel some semblance of closure, of something. Anything other than the screaming nothingness that refused to be ignored. My world shattered and nothing changed. I turned around to scream building inside me. And there she was. I did scream then. In the end, there was no alternate reality. I was the one that didn't exist. She summoned me. She was the one to research alternate realities, growing more and more desperate, lighting candles and spilling blood and chanting, so desperate for relief from the pain desperate enough to abandon ship on her reality and try her luck in another. I exist now because she willed me into existence. I'm molded from her pain, born from her horror and desperation, but I'm just a fragment. My memories are false. You're make-believe. Wishes for how things should be. How much violence has been allowed in the belief of shoulds? Entire empires have been built on shoulds. There are no alternate realities, only this one. There's only this reality, and in this one, there's unfathomable violence and pain and grief and death. 
We live in a world where so many of us are hurt and ignored. An accepted fact, just how it is. Another statistic, the victim's fault. The evil people are capable of, the monstrous acts we have the capacity to commit, that go unpunished, that are allowed, perpetuated. The cycle continues. That's the scariest part of the story. You, me, all of us. We are the monster at the end of the book. <laughs> we are what keeps ourselves up at night. The most terrifying thing in this world is us. And that brings us to the end of this fiction reading. I hope you enjoyed it. It's always so weird to say when it's something that's like a little upsetting. I did name it Deep Dream because like I said, I love those like technology names. And this is a thing Google does where you can feed it images so it can learn what things look like the Google AI. And then it makes the most trippy like 3D paintings you've ever seen. But I gave this story this name because... I, in high school, had gone through all this trauma, was going through all this trauma, and it sort of ended kind of abruptly. And I was able to convince myself that the whole thing had been a dream, that the whole thing, this was a different version of me that had gone through this. It was a dream version of me, and it was really upsetting, but it wasn't real. It hadn't actually happened. That wasn't me. To the point that like, I had a breaking moment um, several years later when I was in college and my mom bought it up and I, I like stopped in my in my tracks and thought, wait, that was, that happened. Because mm-hmm. uh, I just so effectively made it into this kind of like dream sequence that I never gave too much thought because uh, it was scary. I didn't want to think about it. But it, it's like I would have these images and they were so strong and so powerful and these memories and I could just kept thinking, this is a dream, it's not a real memory. And I got, I would get really angry at this other version of myself and I would blame her for opening the door essentially and letting this in and letting it happen. And I'm saying letting, you know, and these very guilt-driven words that I felt. And it was a way for me to separate myself from myself, the other me who I blamed for letting that happen. and. And I was angry at her because <laughs> I didn't want to have to deal with it. Like, I didn't do this. This is why am I feeling all of your sad emotions and pain when I didn't do what you did? But I had. But I, I actually wrote out a whole like book level version of this story. And I, I still have it. And it's interesting to read because to me now, it's so clear that I was dealing with trauma and I was compartmentalizing things and I was like trying to essentially create a separate reality so that I could function. So you were disassociating. Yes. Heavily. Yes. <laughs> but it was it, it did come unraveled because it mm-hmm. kept like knocking at the back of my psyche. Um, and it wouldn't, 
let me go. And I mean, eventually when I got into college, I was able to really put it away and forget about it. But as listeners know on this podcast, as you know, Samantha, eventually just wore me down and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't pretend or keep up that that charade anymore. Um, but I did do it for years, years and years and years. And just reading back on it now, it's so fascinating because I'm so clearly like trying to deal with this thing and this traumatic, all these traumatic experiences. And I, there's so many unhealthy things in there that I'm like, wow, yeah, you were, you were really struggling and I'm still struggling with some of that stuff. But it's just, it's interesting to read thinking like I really did believe at one point, I'd convinced myself that this had not happened to me and it was a different, it's a dream, dream version, but I was still struggling to deal with it and I was writing it out and I like created a whole alternate timeline for her and I called her Tara. She's had a different name than me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we just did is sort of a piece of all of that. <laughs> yeah, happy holidays. I do... <laughs> I do really think like it's it's interesting and heavy. This is heavy-handed at the end. Um, I did preserve a lot of it as I wrote it. So if you're like, wow, this is really over the top. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It was a teenage Annie who was really leaning into the angst. <laughs> but I think that's something that we have talked about um, through our, our look at trauma and coping and writing is one of my biggest coping mechanisms. And uh, clearly I was doing it uh, even, yeah, I mean, most of my life. But during that time, I was as well. Right. It's, yeah, I think it's it makes it easier. Like I said before, I think that's one of the reasons I connect so hard to like fictional things. And I'll cry at fictional things more easily than I'll cry at non-fictional things because there's that distance. Right. There's that space. And I right. don't feel like... I have to put up so many protections with a fictional thing. Even though this wasn't fictional, I convinced myself that it was. Right. Yeah. So I hope that you enjoyed. We really do like doing these. Um, So we're probably going to do about once a month. And again, if you have any suggestions or thoughts or like other things we could do in this format, we would love to hear them. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. The goat. Yes. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.